This is City Post Church. We're about three things. Build, equip, and send. All under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A small church plant in Fort Worth, Texas. Who decided to do things a little differently. Adoramos a Jesucristo. I love City Post because of the people. It's where I belong. We truly preach the word. I love City Post because of the community we've been able to build. To do ministry like Jesus, for light to push back darkness. This is City Post Podcast. All right, good morning, everyone. And that worship was good today. You know, I, I have to admit something before I get started here, though. Um, you know, it was weird today being on this side of the welcome. You know, I'll be honest with you, I didn't know what to do. You know, I got so used to, you know, for the past uh, over a year doing the welcome. I didn't know I was, I was, I was going to come up here and say something. I had nothing prepared. I was like, okay, that's not, that's not my role today. That's not my role. So it, it threw me off. It threw me off a little bit. And so, <clears throat> but... You know, I'm not sure about you guys, but like growing up, I grew up a huge uh, fan of the Rocky movies, right? And I'm talking about the original ones, right? One through five, the good ones, right? And I would watch them over and over and over again. And you know, there's one in particular, Rocky IV, that's my favorite, right? Rocky IV is my favorite one, the one where where uh, where Rocky fights the Russian Ivan Drago, right? Uh, but you know, I've, I've come to realize there's a couple reasons why, there's a couple reasons why we really like those Rocky movies, right? And the first part, the first one is, is that we love the underdog, right? We, we tend to kind of connect with that underdog in our life, right? And we want to see, you know, that person come back from a deficit, being knocked down for 12 rounds, being punched around the ring, come back to gain victory, right? That's something that, man, gives us so much satisfaction, right? But there's something a little deeper than that, right? There's something that's a little bit more sinful in our nature on why we like these movies, and especially Rocky IV, because in Rocky IV, if you guys remember, in the beginning of the movie, uh, the Russian, Drago, he ends up killing uh, Rocky's best friend, Apollo Creed, right? So the whole kind of plot line of that movie is that he's out for revenge, right? He's not fighting for the money. He's not fighting for the title because he actually had to give up his title to go fight in Russia, right? He's not fighting for fame. He is fighting for revenge. He wants to draw blood. He wants to pay back the person who killed his friend, right? Oh, boy, and that resonates with us, doesn't it? That's that sinful nature in our heart. Boy, we, we love that revenge. I'm telling you, boy, forgiveness is not in our nature. So Today we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna continue with uh, with another parable of Jesus, right? We 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 talked about the parable of uh, of anxiety and worry last week with Pastor Ricky, but today we're going into another parable in the book of Matthew called the parable of the unmerciful servant. You know, and this is a parable that addresses the seed of unforgiveness that's in our hearts, and and not just that, but the consequences that follow if we allow that seed to take root, to germinate, and to grow, and to grow us into a bitter person, right? So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up. Let's open them up to the book of Matthew. We're going to be also in chapter 18, like the welcome today. We're going to be a little bit further along, though. We're going to go through verses 21 through 35 today, 21 through 35. And 
I'm going to read it uh, in its entirety, and then we'll, we'll break it down verse by verse. All right, so verse 21, chapter 18, verse 21. The word of the Lord goes like this. 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Verse 26, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and he let him go. Verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Verse, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I lost my track here. Uh, verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Verse 32, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Verse 33, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Verse 34, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. In verse 35, this is how my heavenly father would treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow, that's deep. That's a deep and bold message. You know, we have a lot of ground to cover today, and, and I know... I know, I know this is not one of those feel-good parables, right? It's not the one that says, oh, do, not, do not worry, you're going to be okay, Stephen. No, no, this one here, you know, it's, it's a kick to our pride, a kick to our chest a little bit. Um, so we're going to dive into his verse by verse. But before we do that, um, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for today, Lord. We are so thankful that we are here in your presence, Lord, that you've given us this, this, this church, Lord, that we can uh, learn about your word, Lord. Come in uh, together in, in, in fellowship, Lord. We ask that you, that you bless today's message, Lord, that you speak through me, Lord, that the word spoken today be yours and yours only, and that you open up our ears and our hearts, Lord, to receive this message, This is receive this very important message that you have for us today. And in your heavenly name, we pray. Amen. All right. Let's jump right into this. Verse 21. <clears throat> Sorry, I have allergies to this. I got to keep drinking water here. I'll lose my voice. Um, verse 21 goes like this. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, 
How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? You see, what Peter is, he's going a little bit overboard here, right? Uh, Because keeping in the context of when this parable was spoken, at this time, the rabbis were teaching people that you would only forgive three times. The fourth time was a no-go, right? Free for all at that point. And, you know, the justification behind that, it comes from the scriptures in the book of Amos uh, in chapter 1. There's multiple verses in there where where the Lord uh, has this long list of Israel's enemies and the things that they've done. And in each one of those occasions, he, he states that he's forgiven them three times, but on the fourth time, he will not forgive them, right? So this is what the rabbis are teaching at this time. So Peter... In my opinion, he's trying to impress Jesus a little bit right here. He's like, you know what? Not three. Let's bump it up to seven, right? Let's bump it up to seven. You know, I'm, I'm going to get extra brownie points on this one. So seven times, Jesus. But check this out. Jesus is a story topper, right? You know, because he knows everything. So he goes, he, this is what he answers him in verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times, right? And it actually is 70 times seven is the actual number. And I know, you know, I know most of us didn't do good in math class in high school. So don't worry. Don't put out your calculator. I'm going to do the math for you. 70 times 7 is 490 times. Woo! That's a lot of times to forgive someone, right? 490 times. You'd be like at 250. You're like, man, I got a long ways to go. You know, but, but you know, it's, it's interesting because Jesus is exaggerating this number, right? This equation that he gives us, it leads to an arbitrary number, right? A, a, just a random number, an exaggerated number. And the reason for that is that he wants us to understand that there's no limit to the amount of times that you forgive. It's not four, it's not seven, it's not 490. It's unlimited, right? And if we, if we jump to uh, the book of Luke, uh, chapter 17, 17, verses three and four, Uh, Jesus says here in verse 3, So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, you rebuke them. And if they repent, you must forgive them. Verse 4, Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. He's teaching us that we are to forgive an unlimited amount of times. All right, moving on. Moving to verses 23 to 25. I'm going to read those together. Jesus, this is where he really starts the parable, right? In 23, he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Right? So here Jesus is introducing two of the three characters in this parable. Right? And the first two uh, characters in this parable is the king and the first servant. So a little bit of spoiler alert. The king is God. And the servants is us, sinners, right? Okay, so let's go, let's go to put this into context right away so we're not confused as we move forward. 
but you know, there's a large sum of money at stake here, right? So, so even to kind of wrap our minds around that a little bit more, you could even compare the king to, let's say, the president of the United States and the servant to maybe the governor of Texas or one of the other states, right? This, we're talking about large amounts of money here, and we're going to go ahead and break that down a little bit too. So 10,000 bags of gold, which at this time was called talents, right, is such a large amount that we can't even comprehend. We can't wrap our minds around But we're going to try to, right, because you see the talent was the largest denomination of currency at that time, where one talent was the equivalent to 20 years worth of labor. 20 years, all right? Okay, so we're back at the math. Put your calculators away. I got you, all right? All right I did the math for you, for all of us beforehand. 10,000 talents times 20 years worth of wages is 200,000 years worth of labor. Right? Incomprehensible amount. So much. Again, Jesus is exaggerating these numbers, right? There's a reason for this because this exaggerated amount is the equivalent of what we owe Jesus for the sins that we've committed. It's an amount that's so great that we can never, ever repay it back. And that's the message he's trying to deliver here at this point. Now, in verse 25, he orders the servant, his family, and all his belongings to do what? To be sold as, essentially to, as slaves to repay that debt, right? Again, keeping with the context, this was a common thing that happened. If you owed someone a lot of money at the time and you couldn't pay them back, you could essentially sell yourself or your family, your belongings, so that you can repay that uh, money back, right? So... Interesting here is the king is he's willing to allow the servant to pay off that debt, right? He could have killed him, right? He could have thrown him in jail where he couldn't pay anything back. But at this point, he's already showing mercy, right? Saying, you know what? We can go in and sell you and your family, right? Doesn't, still doesn't sound good, but we can do that. So you can pay back the debt, right? Now, in verse 26 and 27, he goes on to say this. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt, and he let him go. Wow. See, what's important to understand in these two verses here is that as soon as the servant dropped to his knees and begged for forgiveness, immediately the master did what? He forgave him, right? Just like that. Forgive him all his debt. This servant didn't have to keep coming back to him. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Over and over and over again. On that first time, he forgave him. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul says here in verse 13, When you were dead in your sins, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Verse 14, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. You see, in the same way, when we go to the Lord with the repenting heart, when we first come to Jesus and we ask him for forgiveness and we ask him to enter our heart just as the master did for the servant, immediately Jesus does what? He shows us mercy. He has pity on us. And what does he do? He immediately cancels 
all of our debt, all that baggage that we did, all those sins, all those bad acts, those evil acts that we did prior, just like that, he forgives them. And this is what he's getting at here. In verse 28 through 30, Jesus continues and says, But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe, he demanded. Verse 29. But his fellow servant fell to his knees and said the exact same thing. He begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. He said the same thing that the first servant said to his master. Verse 30. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. Well, here in verse 28, we see that the same servant who had just been forgiven of all his debt, right? He immediately left. I mean, can you imagine how great he felt when the master said, you're free, go, all the debt is gone. You're free to continue your life, you know? But immediately he left the presence of his master and instead of being grateful and returning back to his home, to his community with a grateful and forgiving and merciful heart, what did he do? He goes out and he looks for his fellow servant that owes him money. Pay attention to the words here. He didn't say that he just came across him as he was walking down the road. No, it says that he found him. When you, when you, when you find something, it's because you're looking for something. He went out searching for him. He found him and put him in a chokehold, right? He said, give me my money. Give me my money, punk. I want my money. You know, right away, he had just gotten, just gotten, gotten cleared of, of, of 200,000 years worth of labor, and now this guy owes him, this servant owes him 100 silver coins or denarii, right? So, okay, let's, let's go ahead and wrap our minds around this amount because it's not chump change, right? It's, it's not a small amount that he owes him. So let's compare it to the first servant. So one denarii was the equivalent of a day's wage of labor. Okay, one day of work, one denarii. All right. Okay, back to the math, guys. Put your calculators away. I did it for you. Okay, so 100 denarii is a little over three months worth of labor, right? Not chump change, but it's something that could be repaid. It's something that we can wrap our minds around within a given time. We could pay that back. But it's chump change compared to the amount that the first servant was forgiven for. Right. This is what the Lord is telling us here. So in the same way, for those of us who are believers, those of us who are surrendered our lives to Jesus, we have been forgiven for a debt, a debt that is so large that we can never repay. But yet, don't we find ourselves sometimes struggling to extend that same level of mercy, that same level of grace to someone who owes us something, someone who has offended us? And this is what Jesus is trying to get to us here. All right, moving on, verse 31 through 34. Jesus says, When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that happened. Verse 32, Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Verse 33, Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Here in verse 31, it highlights, Jesus highlights the fact that as fellow believers, 
as fellow brothers and sisters in the church, uh, that our fellow believers and fellow uh, brothers and sisters in our church, we are grieved and offended by the lack of forgiveness that we sometimes see in another believer's heart. You see, when there's fighting and bickering and disagreement, whether it's within the family or it's within the church, it doesn't just affect those two people. It affects all of us. It grieves our hearts. It offends us. And this is what verse 31 is telling them, that that the other servants were outraged and they took it to the master, right? And uh, verse 32 through 33, the Lord is reminding us that he has canceled all of our debt, that he has forgiven us completely. Therefore, we too should do the same for those who offend us. In verse 34, you see in the beginning of the parable, even though the servant had a huge debt that he owed the master, notice the master wasn't angry, right? He felt, what, pity on him, right? He wasn't angry about the amount that he owed, right? But what angers God, what angers the master here is it was a lack of forgiveness and mercy that this servant expressed towards his fellow servant. You see, we serve a holy and just God, a God who is offended by all sins, not just non-believers, but also sins committed by his children. That angers God. This is what he's saying in verse 34. Now, at the end here in verse 35, Jesus wraps it up like this. He says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So Jesus, again, he just drops the mic on this one, right? He ends the parable with the mic drop. There's no gray area, right? There's no, there's no room for argument here. He's reminding us that forgiveness is not a verbal expression. Forgiveness is an issue of the heart, right? You can't just say that you forgive someone. You have to forgive them from the heart. And it's important for us to understand this is not a recommendation. He's not just saying, hey, please, maybe you should forgive. No, this is a command. The Lord is commanding us to forgive our, our, uh, our fellow uh, brothers and sisters. And, um, and I know, you know most of us are, are familiar with, with the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, uh, verses 9 through 12. Um, I'm going to just go ahead and read that right quick, but then I want to focus on two verses afterwards. So in verse 9, it says, Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, but deliver us from the evil one, right? We know that, but the two verses that follow, the two verses that follow are very important, Right after this prayer, verses 14 and 15, Jesus goes on to say, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15, But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Right? Mic drop again, right? Mic drop. So, But it's important for us to understand something because there could be some confusion here, right? This does not mean that as believers that we are not justified, right? That forgiveness of our sins when we surrender to Jesus, when he cleaned our slate, when he 
get, got rid of that 200,000 years worth of debt, that's permanent. That's a permanent and complete acquittal from guilt and ultimate penalty of sin. This is not what he's talking about. Our salvation is not at stake here. What he's talking, referring to is the regular cleansing of our sins. Right? We know that as believers, every day we are supposed to do what? Go to the Lord and confess our sins. Take it to the altar and say, Lord, please forgive me for everything that I've done. Right? And every day he gives us this daily cleansing. He washes away our sins so the next day we start off fresh as believers. Right? That's what he is threatening to withhold from us. He's threatening to withhold that daily cleansing because that's a form of discipline. When we refuse to forgive others, when we are disobedient to the Lord, the Lord will, will discipline us. And this is what he's getting at here at the end of this parable. All right, so as I wrap things up, I want, I want to I leave you guys with three points for you to take away from today's teaching. So if you're taking notes, this is a time. If you were asleep, it's time for you to wake up. So uh, these are three points you want to remember. First one, first one, super simple, clarify. Clarify is point one. You see, in order for us to better understand how to forgive, we first need to understand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't, okay? See, forgiveness isn't forgetting, all right? Understand that God, all-knowing, all-powerful, the creator of the universe, he knows everything. He doesn't forget our sins, but what he does do, he doesn't bring it back up. You see, he doesn't bring it back up and throw it back in our face. But he hasn't forgotten them. And he doesn't expect us to forget the harm that's been done to us in our life. Okay? There's lessons to be learned there. We are to forgive and to let go. But forget is not something that we're really capable of doing. <clears throat> Forgiveness isn't ignoring wrongdoings or staying quiet when someone sins or offends us. Right. And uh, earlier I read uh, uh, from chapter from Luke, chapter 17, verse three. And I'll read it again. Three says, so watch yourselves. If your brother or your sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, you must forgive them. Right. He's saying rebuke them. He doesn't say go get in their face and yell at them, and slap them and hit them. Right. He's not saying that, but he's saying you are allowed to stand up for what is right. And you tell someone, if they sinned against you, if someone cheated on you, you tell them that's wrong. If someone hits you, you tell them that you don't appreciate being hit, right? If someone steals something from you, you can address that. But you are to forgive and let go, okay? There is a difference. Forgiveness, and this is a very important one, and this is a difficult one that a lot of Christians struggle with. Forgiveness isn't staying in an abusive relationship. Understand that. It doesn't mean that you are to be someone's physical and or emotional punching bag. Understand that. Please understand that God is a just and holy God, a merciful, loving God, and God values each and every one of your lives. Understand that he does not want you to be abused and be someone's punching bag. Get that through your heads, please. Understand, if you are in physical and emotional danger, you are to get yourself out of that situation. You can forgive from afar. Understand that. Forgiveness is not just a verbal expression. It's a matter of the heart, right? It's something that we have to feel here deep side, inside of our heart. It may start as a verbal expression. maybe start with a thought in our mind, but eventually it has to be from the heart and it has to be released. Forgiveness is granted and not earned, all right? 
Forgiveness is granted and not earned. That means that the person who offends you does not have to come and make things right with you before you forgive and let it go. You see, just like God granted us forgiveness, he canceled our debt. We didn't pay that back. He canceled it in the same way he wants us to be like him. He wants us to follow his example, and we are to forgive people even if they don't come and make things right with us. Understand that. Forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. Understand this. Reconciliation is the ideal scenario. Absolutely, we want to reconcile with people. The Lord wants us to do that. It's not always possible nor always necessary. When it comes to certain relationships like family dynamics, especially marriages, you know, you are to reconcile. You have to meet in the middle, right? Because reconciliation takes two people. It takes two people to essentially forgive each other and come to a mutual agreement and live in harmony again moving forward, right? But sometimes we don't have that luxury to do that, right? Maybe something, someone that we haven't forgiven isn't with us anymore. Maybe that person passed away already. Maybe this person lives somewhere you don't know where they're at, and you're still holding on to that anger, that grudge, that, that hate in your heart. You don't need to reconcile with that person because you may not even be able to. You see, forgiveness only takes one person, and that person is you. Reconciliation takes two people. So we are able to forgive without that other person. <clears throat> and the last point, well, no, second point, sorry. Second point. Second point is confess. Second point is to confess. All right, and if, if you guys are anything like, like me, you too have struggled with the concept of sin. You know, for most of my life, I'll be honest with you, I hated the word sin. I absolutely hated it. You know, being raised in the Catholic Church, I hated it. When I left the Catholic Church, I went off to these other churches that didn't talk about sin. I went to these spiritual churches that talked about all the, all the, all the good stuff that makes us feel good, right? Never mentioned sin, you know, because I went where my itching ears wanted me to go. You see, I hated the word sin. My pride would not let me, let me to admit and confess that I was a sinner. It wouldn't allow me to admit that I was a bad person. No, instead, I would hide behind the common saying, which I'm sure all of us here have said it, I'm a good person, right? I'm a good person. I, I, I go to work. You know, I'm faithful to my wife. I take care of my kids. You know, I pay most of my taxes, you know, like, like you know, I, I'm overall, I'm a good, I, I'm a good person, right? You know, because I would compare myself to someone who was worse. Like, oh, man, I only drink a six-pack, man, but my neighbor, he drinks 24 and passes out in the front yard. I'm not that person, you know, I, I may cheat on this one homework assignment, but my classmate cheats on everything. That person's bad. I'm good. You know, I may lust a little bit, but that person's over there cheating. You know, there's all kinds of comparisons, right? We always like to find someone who's worse than us, right? You know, and that's what I did. That's what I did over and over. But you know what? That couldn't be further from the truth. God's word teaches us differently, doesn't it? In Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, the Apostle Paul says, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's the truth of God's word. 
You see, admitting that we are sinners in dire need of our Savior and confessing our sins to Jesus is a prerequisite, a requirement for our salvation. We can't have salvation without forgiveness. We can't call ourselves Christians and claim to have been saved if we have never confessed, at first admitted that we're sinners, and then confessed those sins to Jesus. And if we haven't confessed, we haven't been forgiven. And if we haven't been forgiven, then how can we truly forgive others? First, we have to confess. You know, and the Lord taught me this in a hard way. You know, last, last week, Ricky, Ricky preached one of my favorite parables. You know, I'm not going to lie. I was a little jealous. You know, I was like, man, I love that parable. You know, it's my feel-good one, you know, because, uh, you know, so, so most of you guys know my testimony. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it short here because that will take a whole other 30 minutes. But, you know, whenever I came to, to uh, surrender to the Lord, the week prior, my family and I were going through a very difficult time, a very, very difficult time. Right? We had just found out that we had been betrayed by someone that we trusted, someone that we loved, uh, that we had a working relationship of over 10 years, had betrayed us. And with that came the loss of our business. And with that loss of our business came the loss of our income. So just like that, in one day, I went from being in a comfortable financial situation to not knowing where my next check was going to come from. You could imagine the amount of anxiety as the head of the house, as a father, as a husband, the amount of anxiety and worry that I was feeling at that time. <clears throat> and give it, I wasn't a believer yet. I've been here about two months since I walked through those doors. But you know what? I took, when I, I made a decision when I came through those doors that I was going to believe the Bible to be the truth from cover to cover. Even if I didn't, even if I didn't understand it, even if I hadn't read it, I was going to believe it. So even though I hadn't forgiven yet, I knew that I had to go to God's word. And I went to Ricky for guidance, and he told me the same thing in prayer. And you know what? Matthew 6, 25 through 34 was one of those verses that I went to over and over again. I read it numerous times, right? Had it memorized because it made me feel good. Because there was two petitions that I took to the Lord. I wanted him to reveal himself to me. I wanted to test if his word was true, if it was going to be applicable to my life. And I came to him, and I said, you know what? I'm worried. I'm stressed. I have anxiety with this. <clears throat> And I read that parable over and over, and little by little, the Lord granted me that petition. He took away that worry. He took away that anxiety, and I knew deep down in my heart that I was going to be okay. I knew deep down in my heart that my father was going to take care of me and my family. You see, so that one, that was my feel-good parable right there. That was my go-to, but there was another petition that I had for Jesus that day during that time frame. That other one was to teach me to forgive. To teach me to forgive. <clears throat> you see, at this time, I knew I didn't have it in me to forgive. I had anger in my heart. I had pain in my heart. I wanted to draw blood. And I'll be honest with you, I wanted to kill this person. You know, forgiveness was not on my mind. But I knew, I knew from God's word and from the teachings that I learned here at City Post that I needed to forgive. And I knew that I couldn't do it. I knew that I couldn't do it. I took it to Jesus. I said, Jesus, teach me how to forgive. Let me forgive this person. You see, and like a loving father, he guided me to his scripture. He guided me to his word. And this is just like the parable we covered today. It wasn't what I wanted to hear. No, it wasn't what I wanted to hear. I was pointing the finger at this person, 
And guess what? I had three fingers pointing back at me, and Jesus reminded me of those three fingers over and over and over again. The scriptures that I read, the parables that I went into, that God presented to me, he kept pointing back at me. How are you going to judge someone for the speck in the eye when you have a law coming out of yours? He kept pushing it back on me. And I'll be honest with you, he taught me. He taught me that during that period, through his word, he helped me to understand what sin was. He helped me to admit that I was a sinner in dire need of a savior. He helped open up my eyes to see that I wasn't a good person. He brought me to my knees and I asked him for forgiveness and to enter my heart. And that day I surrendered my life to Jesus. And the amazing thing, the amazing thing about that is that not only as the master did that he immediately forgave me of all my sins, not only did he forgive me, he embraced me. Not only did he embrace me, he adopted me into his family. Not only did he adopt me, he gave me the greatest title that anyone could ever have, that I'm a child of God. That's what he did for me. He erased all my sins, all the evil that I had committed in my life of 39 years up to that point. He reclaimed that for good. And he's using it for his glory. He's using it for his kingdom. He's using it to spread the gospel. And here I am today, a sinner, a no one, preaching God's word. That's the kind of forgiveness that God gives us. That's the kind of debt that he takes off of us. That's the kind of love and mercy that he pours onto us. But we first have to admit that we are sinners and confess and take it to the Lord. Last one here, and we'll wrap it up. Third point is cut loose. Cut loose. You see, many times uh, we tell ourselves that we've forgiven someone. And we tell people around us, oh, yeah, I've forgiven so-and-so. Absolutely. But as soon as we see that person, oh, we, we don't even got to see them. We've got to hear someone say their name. Our blood starts to boil. We're like, ooh, boy, you start popping your neck. You get ready. You know, start taking off your jewelry. You know, you, you, you're, you're ready to throw down. Because the thing is, is that we haven't let go. We haven't cut loose. We say that we've forgiven, but we haven't let it go. You see, and what happens with that is that it harbors anger in our hearts. And not only does that affect us emotionally and spiritually, it affects us physically. We have high blood pressure. We have anxiety. We have worry. We have lack of sleep because we're holding on and we won't let go of this person who did something wrong to me. And in Romans, Romans chapter 12, 17 through 19, the Apostle Paul goes on to say in verse 17, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Verse 18, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19, Do not take revenge my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. First Peter, first Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, first Peter 3, 8 and 9 goes on to say, finally, all of you be like-minded, 
be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because this you were called so, so that you may inherit a blessing. You see, the Lord is commanding us to forgive and to let go, to cut loose those negative feelings and leave that to him. You see, we serve a God of justice, and he will always deliver justice, but he wants us to leave room for that justice. And it's important for us to understand that it's not our job to take it into our own hands, right? We are not the judge, the jury, and the executioner. Leave it to the Lord. And another thing for us to remember that the Lord will deliver justice according to his will, not our will, not what we want to see happen. The Lord knows best, and we are to be content with the way he delivers justice because he is all-knowing, all-powerful. He is our Lord, a God of justice. And I'll leave you with this. If you're having trouble forgiving someone for their sins, for their offenses, ask yourself, have you asked God for forgiveness? Have you admitted that you're a sinner? Have you taken your debt to the Lord and asked him to clear the plate for you? If you're having trouble forgiving someone, just fix your eyes and your heart on the cross and understand what the cross represents. The cross is not a piece of jewelry. The cross is not a decoration to put in your house. It is not a bumper sticker to put on your car nor a cool t-shirt. You see, the cross represents the price that was paid for our sins. That price that was paid was the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He sacrificed his life. He gave everything that he had for our debt to clear us of the sins that we have committed. And when God is real in our lives, when we truly understand and embrace God's forgiveness in our lives, the question is no longer, how can I forgive this person? The question becomes, how can I not forgive after what I have been forgiven for? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord, and we thank you again today, Lord, for your message, Lord. We thank you for the words that you've spoken to us, Lord, and we, we pray, Lord, that those, Lord, those words that you've spoken to us today, Lord, that they penetrate our hearts, so that you allow us to, to self-reflect, Lord, to, to put our pride aside and admit that we are sinners, that we are not good people, Lord, that we are in dire need of you, Lord, of a Savior of one who can cleanse us of our sins, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you teach us how to forgive, Lord. Forgive us of our sins and teach us to show the same mercy, to show the same grace that you have expressed towards us, Lord, that you show us how to express that to others, Lord, so that, me, so that we may be a reflection, so that our lives may be a reflection of your glory, Lord. We ask that you... <sighs> Put our pride aside, Lord, 
and bring us to you. And for any of us who haven't surrendered to the Lord yet, I ask you, Lord, that you work on their hearts, Lord, that you that you pull on them, Lord, that you soften their hearts, Lord, that you bring them to you, that you bring them to your to their knees, Lord, and help them to recognize, Lord, that they need you, that they need you for forgiveness. They need you to experience your love and your mercy and everything great that comes from you and to experience and to secure uh, eternity with you in heaven, Lord. We ask that you soften their hearts and let them come to you. Whatever stopping them from, from dropping to their knees, Lord, put it off to the side and bring them home to you, Lord. We know that you are a merciful God. We know that you are a loving God, a forgiving God, a God of love, a God of justice, Lord. And we pray in your heavenly name. Amen.